0: Mental Models episode 39 I'm Steve Kwan I'm Matt Kwan BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach and Matt did you know that we have music now Cool. Can we listen to it? We can. Uh I'm gonna put it in after. So the oh. the great thing here is I've heard the music. Matt hasn't heard it, so God. he might have he might not like it. He might hate it, but that's his problem. What that's kind of all. what
1: kind of genre is it?
0: <laughs> you know, we actually uh we actually had one of our listeners submit like six different clips to us. Um I wound up going with the one that I think sounds probably most appropriate for what we're trying to do. I I don't even know what the genre would be, but it's kind of like a combination of like brass and strings. It sounds Uh very sporty, I like it a lot.
1: Oh, okay i was expecting like galaxy noises or something like that
0: <laughs> there there were galaxy noises included so but i decided that maybe something a little bit more traditional would go well um so big big thanks to to the guy who submitted it uh actually he's a musician his uh it goes by the name enterprise his address is enterprise.bandcamp.com that's enterprise with a z instead of an s so give him a shout uh thanks again for your contributions to the show very helpful because we don't know anything about music yeah really appreciate the help and i hope i like it <laughs> so um today we're going to be talking about inside channel control uh, we've talked about this in past episodes but just maybe a, a quick discussion of what it is and why it's important you may have heard of this mental model before a lot of people call it inside position i'm not really a huge fan of that name simply because it's kind of vague i mean what does it mean like what is it 's not really a position it 's kind of just something that you can do from a lot of positions. My instructor confusingly has called it inside control, which is super confusing because now it sounds you're like, inside control you're in, are you inside control or are you in inside control um, I like to call it inside channel control personally because I think that more accurately describes what you 're actually going for so Matt, the way that I like to think of it, and it's this is something that's easier to show with a visual, but we can kind of try to describe it. When when someone wants to know what this means, the example I usually give is from Butterfly Guard. So Butterfly Guard is probably the position where this is the most obvious. If you think of what's happening when you are playing Butterfly Guard against someone and you're on the bottom, generally speaking, you're trying to get your legs in between their legs, right? You want to have your, your knees up, and you want to have your legs between theirs. If you one or both of your legs are on the outside, it's not always the end of the world, but that's not butterfly guard, that's something else. Now, if you really want butterfly guard to work, you also need to get your hands on the inside. And if you really at a black belt level want butterfly to work, you need to get your head on the inside too, underneath the guy. So if you're playing butterfly guard effectively, you're constantly trying to get on the inside. You want both of your legs between your opponents, you want your arms on the inside, and you want your head underneath. And that is effectively what we call inside channel control. It's not something that is exclusive to butterfly guard. Whenever you're swimming for an underhook, you're effectively trying to take the inside right. channel when you're trying to get your head underneath your opponent's head and use that as a wedge basically what you're doing is you're trying to take the inside channel that's effectively what this position means
1: yeah i'm i'm not as um <clears throat> not as strict with my terminology i call it inside control or inside positioning inside channel I've, i use them all interchangeably but um i'm this is a term that now when i'm describing jiu-jitsu i i use pretty much every class um basically steve hit it right on the head if you're playing a butterfly guard position and you want to get your your hooks on the inside it's going to give you better lever control it's going to give you also the uh one of the main features from the bottom is you're able to elevate your opponent with with these hooks and uh you're able to enter into all of uh your different leg lock entanglements or or the majority of the leg lock entanglements um and also, from the top position approaching someone in a seated guard, if, if you let them dominate the inside position, then not only are they going to be able to elevate you, but your legs are going to be vulnerable for attacks and, and different ashigurami. So, um, you know, I, I've been, I've been watching Gordon Ryan's DVD, his passing DVD a lot. Not, not his how to get swole DVD, but his passing DVD. And, uh, he basically, his entire game has to do with getting the inside position, whether it's top and bottom. Um, and it's really helped me solve a lot of problems that I've had, not just with, uh, you know, bottom position, but guard passing as well. Like, f- for instance, um, you know if you're if you're on top trying to pass someone's guard one of the main things he does is he tries to circle one of his legs to the inside so it almost forces him into what he calls a split squat but it's basically like a half guard or a headquarters position and then that's where a lot of his flow passing takes place and usually when he's met by frames of the hands uh he has several options a lot of the time he 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 can float with a loose style pass where he's he's literally floating over his partner and he, he you know he doesn't have that chest to chest control um, but what I'm, what I'm striving to get is something that he's showing where he gets to his, his split squat position, uh, or his, his one leg on the inside, like the headquarters position. And then from there, he does something called shin circling, which basically is just pummeling your leg on top of your other partner's leg. So I just, I just refer to it all as pummeling, uh, and getting the in- inside position. And then when is, when you're, if you get to that position, your opponent's pushing away with their ha- arms, which is a pretty, it's a pretty natural reaction to try and create space with your arms. Uh, wh- one of the great things about his passing system is it allows you to now, uh, expose underhooks. And, um, you know, when, it, when I first started playing with this, I was having issues because every time I would go for an underhook from the float pass position, I would get swept. And then I realized what I need to do is I need to pin my partner's head and shoulders. So a big part of, of what I do now when I'm trying to establish top pressure and top position and mount position is i try and get my head to the floor um and that's something that i've i've really gotten from gordon's dvd and and you'll also see when he's uh you know commentating matches or when he's sort of uh narrating or answering questions about what to do when he's guard passing Uh, generally a lot of what he's doing is fighting for the inside position whether it be like a bicep tie or an underhook or something like that so yeah that's that's really impacted my game not just from the bottom position but um but from the top position as well when we
0: talk about passing yeah that's a really important thing to bring up when people think of inside channel control they're often thinking of from the bottom but honestly it is incredibly useful to apply that strategy from the top as well when i started really making a point of fighting for that inside position position it really improved my ability to prevent people from extracting my limb when i was trying to pass it really allowed me to keep my alignment and something that i think is really important to understand is that inside position isn't just a position that you go for it really should be a habit that you develop yeah exactly you should always be trying to pummel for the inside whether it be with your feet or with your hands or even with your head even before you start trying to settle into a position if you have the opportunity to get inside position you should go for it and if your opponent has inside position probably a good idea to try to take inside position for yourself before you try to move on to a different position yeah Some. some- i've been trying to do is classify
1: what inside position actually does uh like like if i was going to describe the 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 principle of of the inside channel control what what does it do And the thing that I find is pretty common is it turns a frame into a lever. So if your partner is framing on you, like I said, you're putting pressure down from like the, you know, the half guard position and then they're framing with your arms. If you can swim an underhook or you can get an inside tie, you're going to be able to basically dominate that that frame as a lever. And whether you're going to pin that lever or you're going to pummel and then get chest to chest... Um, you're still turning a frame into a lever and same thing from the bottom you know if your partner's stepping in and then you get your legs on the inside you now uh you're you're taking their legs which are you know frames and being able to access them as levers by getting yourself underneath entering an Ashigarami. so that's like a that's like a common theme that i've noticed and um again I, I i i've been saying it so much i think my my students are getting sick of it but the the gordon ryan dvd is really uh an amazing dvd to check out for guard passing and even even though it's it's a it's a nogi dvd i'm still using a lot of the concepts um I'm using a lot of the concepts in the gi as well so the main things I've taken away are the ins- the, the importance of pummeling the inside channel the importance of uh, pinning the head and shoulders before trying to free your leg getting chest to chest with your partner and just overall the sense of head position that you have is super important especially in a sport like nogi where you don't like one of the things that I sort of struggled with when I was first uh, you know really trying to hone my nogi game is I wasn't a- ever able to uh, apply pressure without my partner moving around because there's no grips or anything, right? Um, and I'm, I'm quickly realizing that the best way to apply pressure in jujitsu and to hold a position is to dominate the head position. Yeah. So that's like one of the main things that I've noticed has really helped out, uh, you know overall my my pressure passing and my control from the top
0: yeah when i am trying to hold someone on the bottom in addition to trying to control their arms or their legs i'm often also trying to use my head to pin their head in place and sometimes that involves using inside channel control because you're keeping your head underneath your opponent's and by doing that you can use your head to ram their jaw so that they can't look towards you it allows you to kind of control the angle that your opponent is facing. If I had to explain what the benefits are for having inside channel control, I would say, number one, Inside channel control allows you to control the distance. That's really one of the most important things is you are getting so close to your opponent that their ability to really be effective is going to be reduced, right? When you're controlling the distance there's benefits to being you know far or near but if you get so close to your opponent that they can't really be effective against you that's awesome. Uh, especially as a smaller guy, I'm using this a lot because I don't necessarily want to fight strength to strength. But if I can get inside close enough, then it allows me to neutralize that as a, as a concern. Additionally, when you're on the inside, it's generally easier to change the angle and leave your opponent where they are so that they're facing the wrong way. A lot of, sweeps like underhook sweeps for example, basically what you're doing is you're taking the inside position and then you're changing the angle so that you have a dominant angle. I find that if you have the inside channel it's a lot easier to get a dominant angle on your opponent because you have more directions to move whereas they're kind of stuck against you and they can't really move in relative to your body like you can move relative to theirs the other thing too is when you're in close all of your limbs are basically out of danger it is very hard for your opponent not impossible but it is challenging for your opponent to effectively attack your arm or your leg or your neck if you're on the inside because they just can't get it wrapped around you properly and as long as you you know this is why a lot of the time when you're shooting or you're trying to you know you're trying to get in close to someone if you keep your head on the inside it can make it extremely difficult for them to guillotine you because it's just not a good angle for them so i find as a small guy this is a very powerful defensive position and matt to your point it this works effective in both a gi and a no gi situation so it's a really versatile tool to have in your toolbox
1: yeah and and from the bottom having the inside position really acts effectively um as frames and distant manage distance management like if you watch Gordon or Nicky Ryan or even an Eddie Cummings, like from the bottom, they're always searching for the inside position. Um, and it, you know, when's the last time you saw those guys get their guard pass? It, it never happens, right? So it's, it's very important to, to always maintain that inside position. And if you're on top looking to pass, it's very important to, to at least get one leg on the inside to nullify their, you know, their, uh, their ability to get underneath you and to get into those Ashiguramis. And, and I also find it interesting how, um, I don't know if this is just for me, but I, I seem to see a lot of this because you'll see guys that, you know, just primarily do no Gi, like the Danaher Death, Death Squad guys. And then there's guys that do primarily Gi that you see on the IBJJF circuits. And I find that the, uh, the sto- the genuine, or sorry, the, uh, the general style of nogi fighters i find is try to get to the inside channel whether you're gonna get, you have a single leg x game or a butterfly game or whatever and uh the gi guys tend to wrap their legs around and i don't i don't want to say give up the inside channel but if uh a lot of uh the gi game can can be utilized with the uh with your legs around the outside whether it's a close guard or a deli hiva hook or a, a half guard or whatever so it could be uh, a function of the gi possibly like when when i when i Practice in the gi, I, I, I don't always look for the inside channel. A lot of the time I look for delahiva. I look for worm guard, all all types of guards where my legs are actually sort of trapping my partner. And then in no gi, most of the time I look for the inside position. So it's, it's kind of interesting how, you know, you add the, the kimono and it, and it kind of changes things very drastically. So it's almost like the whole strategy changes for me.
0: Yeah. That's actually a good pointer inside channel control is. Not strictly required. There are a lot of variants that you can use that don't require inside channel control. The most obvious one probably being Delaheva Guard. But even with Delaheva Guard, normally you've got a Delaheva hook, which is on the outside. But if you're playing Delaheva Guard effectively, you're probably trying to prevent your other leg from being dangling, right? You're probably trying to keep that like tucked behind the guy's far leg so that he can't just grab it. Now, to your point, in the Ghee, the situation can change a little bit because the Ghee gi gives you so many more levers over your opponent. With something like Delahiva Guard, you can use the Ghee to kind of force your opponent to look away from you, and you can compensate for the fact that you don't have inside channel control by having really good gi grips. Now that said though even in Nogi, Rob Bernanke has demonstrated that you can play Delahiva in Nogi still quite effectively. So mm-hmm. inside channel control is not the be-all end-all. You can actually be very successful uh, with other strategies. I mean, you know, a lot of guys, for example, do like overhand takedowns or they'll, you know, they'll go for the whizzer. This is basically outside channel control and it still works, but I find personally, if you want to have the mobility advantage and you want to have you want to have a very defensible position, and you want techniques that will work against much larger opponents, I find that going for the inside channel is much more effective most of the time. It is very hard to whizzer someone and dominate them if you're smaller than them, but if you get an underhook, that's going to work regardless of size. Mm-hmm. And and. Like I said before, me- like I mentioned earlier, with the guard passing,
1: having an inside position uh, when you're trying to pass someone's guard is super important um, because it's kind of, it kind of allows you to get to that chest to chest position. Depending on the type of passing you like to do, whether it's loose passing, tight passing, or submission based passing, um, like imagine I'm I'm trying to pass someone's guard who has a knee shield and uh it's wedged in between my uh my arm and my my knee that's posted like it's going to be super hard to get past that knee shield because they're the one who's dominating the inside position but if i if if i just do like a like a, you know, there's a movement you can do where you elevate their hips a little bit and, and circle your elbow back to the inside. Once you can create knee elbow connection, which we use before, you know, we've talked about a lot in previous episodes, um, you now have the inside position and it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult for your partner to now frame up. So again, whether you're on top or bottom, Uh, really important to think about the inside position and just um it'll like i said it'll turn frames into levers and from the bottom it will create frames for yourself in a defensive situation
0: yeah bringing up the elbow knee connection is a really good point when it comes to maintaining the inside channel once you have it elbow knee connection is probably the best way to do it because if you don't have elbow knee connection your opponent can just swim right back inside and take the inside channel again but if you have elbow knee connection then you've created a shield and it's very hard for your opponent to get their arm or their leg back on the inside if you want to dramatically turbocharge your guard passing game one of the first things that you can do is try to get the inside channel and then create a strong elbow knee connection to prevent your opponent from getting it back If you do that, you're going to wind up in a lot of positions where things like the knee slide pass become a lot easier because you can prevent your opponent from bringing their far leg back into play. So this is mostly my guard passing game is I try to take the inside channel or at least get halfway there. And then I create an elbow knee connection that prevents my opponent from recovering it. And that at that point, your opponent is on the defense and it becomes very, very hard for him to recover that position. I find personally, if I were to suggest how to improve your guard passing game, the number one thing for me is learn to grip fight. I think that getting dominant grips is one of the most important things and the the first thing you should seek when you're sparring. But the second thing I would say is swimming for the inside channel. It's just a good habit to get into regardless of your position. As soon as you engage someone... First I th- I think the first priority should be managing grips and the second should be seeking the inside channel.
1: Yeah. I I, I totally agree Steve. Um <clears throat> and uh yeah, you, you know like w- just like when we pummel from a standing position that classic wrestling drill where you're just learning how to get underhooks, that's such an important part of 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 grappling and what we're really doing is practicing getting to the inside channel. Like have you ever uh i mean obviously we all have if you're in the like the knee cut position and you try and do a knee cut when you don't have the far side underhook what ends up happening is usually you get your back taken right yeah. because or you go flying off and look like a total idiot <laughs> or you do that too because because uh <clears throat> you know you you could potentially have like a head and arm position in a Kesakatame, but you don't really see that position too often in ju- in uh jiu um you know even if you have a near side underhook a lot of the time it's it's enough to to finish a pass but if you just have like a head control and you try and do a knee cut they're basically going to come right up on an underhook it's a it's a pretty natural reaction for the person on the bottom so um you know i i mentioned before i'm going to keep mentioning that gordon dvd what he focuses a lot on is he pins the head and shoulders before he tries to actually pass so he doesn't worry too much about his leg being trapped in a half guard. His main goal is to get chest to chest, usually with an underhook, and then pin the head and shoulders using an inside channel. And then from there, you can free your leg quite effectively just because your opponent's posture is going to be completely broken, right? Their hips are facing one way and their shoulders are, are completely pinned. They have no posture and they're totally out of alignment. So it's um, I, just from watching his DVD, my passing has gone up probably at least 30% in the gym and I, I just did naga last weekend and i was passing guards with with ease no no issue at all once i got into that chest to chest position and um you know before when i'd pass the guard it would be kind of like uh i almost didn't have the 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 confidence because i i really didn't know what i was trying to do like i could pass guards but i didn't have like a systemized approach where i was like okay i need to pin the head and shoulders first then i need to pass it was more like Okay, shit, I gotta get my leg out, I gotta get my leg out, I gotta pass, I gotta pass. And and it's a lot more scrambly, but when you isolate the your your opponent's head and shoulders really makes it easy and uh it really sets your goals very clear when it comes to a guard passing position
0: yeah that's a really good point you need to have a systemized approach to guard passing and a mistake that i made and i'm guessing a lot of you make is when you think you have a pass you just go for it and you get really excited and we talked about myopia in the past where you have a goal in mind and you get a really narrow focus you get tunnel vision and you're so focused on that goal that you're Making mistakes. A good example of that is when you're trying to pass guard and you see an opening and you just go for it, but maybe you haven't done all of the right things to get to that point yeah. first and you wind up getting swept or the guy recovers or he winds up getting behind you and taking your back. In the case of passing guard, something that my instructor told me is there's three steps to pass someone's guard. The first step is you disentangle the second step is you control and the third step is you pass and most people try to take shortcuts on step one or two where they'll either try to pass before they've dominated the grips Mm -hmm. or they'll try to pass when they aren't really controlling their opponent and their opponent manages to escape what you really want is to make sure that you've won the grip fight and you know you can control the position before you pass you don't want to try to pass and then hope you can control afterwards you want to be controlling all the way through. When you look at high-level pressure passers, you notice that getting your guard passed by them looks like it really sucks and Matt you've sparred with these guys so you can probably attest when you're sparring with a high level pressure passer it sucks all the way through it's just a very demoralizing process and they keep control the whole way through that is so important to trying to pass it's not a matter of just trying to shoot out of the chamber like a bullet and then hope that you're able to control afterwards you have to have confidence in your ability to manage grips and control the position before you start trying to pass
1: yeah and and a big thing is tempo as well. Like Keenan calls it is basically what you're describing is, you know, if your partner is dominating the grips and you're trying to pour on like passing pressure, whether it's with, uh, with, with weight or with speed, you're basically just going to keep getting tied up and they're going to be the ones that are either going to counter you or they're going to dominate the position. But if you can break the grips and then, you know, create a different angle and then go back in when your partner doesn't have grips, you're going to be ahead of them with, uh, in the tempo. So that's another, that's another thing that I, I think about a lot but um you know it's funny throughout my purple and brown belt years i basically tried to use a lot of loose passing so i was really getting into like leg drags and and uh, you know x passes and and footwork type passes using speed and timing to pass um and now that i'm i I, i've been uh since i've been a black belt i've really tried to put more time into my pressure based passing It's, it's actually kind of funny how you know i have looking at my game over the last six months i've actually really gone back to basics like i um ever since my match with bruno i've i've when he dominated me in the mount like i was I, I learned so much from that match about what he was doing to be able to hold mount and up until black belt like i i never really mounted guys it was it's not a position that i felt comfortable in i didn't really know what i wanted to do from there and when he mounted me i realized what he was doing i was like oh my god like now i see w- uh uh what how he's using the control how he's cross-facing me where his head is his knee elbow connection from the top so i've been really implementing those things and and my mount game has gone up really uh really substantially and people are having trouble getting me off a mount. and it's a lot of it is just getting me inside position having my elbows in base properly having my head in position that's really important b- is before i'd be in mount and my head would kind of be floating off the ground and i would allow too much space but putting your head down on the mount makes a uh, life a lot worse for the person on the bottom yeah generally so um you know it's funny like now my game throughout purple and brown it was all Bolos, crab ride all all these upside down games and now my game is basically like fundamental smash pass style plus worm guard (laughs) which i I know is not fundamental but like i've been uh, it's fun (laughs) it's fun and and a big reason why i've been trying to add worm guard and all the lapel style guards to my game is because i um it's basically a whole nother layer of guard i've been finding so like Mm -hmm. if you like let's say you like to play collar and sleeve and You know spider guard or whatever style open guard you like if you learn worm guard you basically add a whole nother layer on top of that so if you have the lapel and your partner breaks the lapel grip you don't lose anything you still have all those guards at your disposal so for me adding like another frontline another layer of guard to my attack makes so much sense um and i think that's why keenan's guard is like it's pretty much almost unpassable right yeah
0: i like worm guard a lot at first i thought it was ridiculous and exotic but it still is (laughs) well honestly though is it really like if you look at the different types of gi based guards is it more ridiculous than spider guard i don't think so i mean i I think that worm guard is superior to spider guard in almost every way. It, so do I. It works against bigger opponents. It is, I mean, I, I know this isn't the measuring stick that everyone uses, but is probably more realistic in a self-defense situation, and it also isn't going to screw up your fingers. Uh, that, that, I think, is a highly... Under appreciated aspect of Worm Guard is you can do that and you're not going to get like busted up fingers. Whereas if you play Spider Guard a lot, like you're gonna lose yeah. the ability to bend your fingers pretty yeah. quickly.
1: Another thing I've noticed playing with Worm Guard, and I'm not I'm not a Worm Guard expert. In fact, I'm I'm pretty novice at it. Uh, I think it I think next year I'm gonna be trying to really focus on building my my lapel guard game. Mm-hmm. But one thing I really like about Worm Guard is compared to like a Spider Guard, and Spider Guard, when you grip up, your 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 opponent
0: basically can instantly regrip your legs and yeah, have yeah, lever yeah. control over your legs. Well, they're swimming for the inside channel, right? That is one of the problems with spider guard is it is very easy for both you and the guy on the bottom to swim for the inside channel. And whoever gets the inside channel has control. With worm guard, you're literally tying your leg to yeah. your opponent and it's really hard to break that grip. It's, it's, it is really hard to break that grip, but it's also, it's super
1: hard for the person on top to actually like access your legs. Yeah. Because one of your legs is usually tied up in a lapel or it's in the intermediary stages as Keenan calls it whether you're going to have it in the stirrup or on the inside position, or whatever, um, and then the other foot is basically free to do like Delahive hook. It's free to go inside the middle. It's very yeah. difficult to track down the uh, the legs, right? So that's that's why I think the worm guard is such an effective. Um, it's such an effective way to play uh, in the gi. And yeah, I'm gonna just keep using it. And and like I said, my game has been <laughs> from the bottom has been pretty much all worm guard plus open guards. And then when I get on top, it's all just smash passing and mount. So it's yeah. it's funny. It's like a mixture of the old old school plus new school.
0: Yeah, I really favor moves that require less motion. I prefer moves that have less variability. And the thing I like about the more pressure passed game is, first of all, speed-based games tend to require athleticism that I don't have. But second of all, speed-based games have a lot of margin for error. If your game involves a lot of motion, motion creates variability and in my mind variability is bad whereas a pressure pa- uh, a pressure-based game usually relies on minimal movement and lots of control and i find that the outcome of that is much more predictable you know if you're trying to do like a lot of cartwheels i mean i know you've had success with that but i find that things like that have it's like a dice roll it can you know sometimes it works here in your favor sometimes it doesn't whereas pressure passing is much more predictable and i think predictability is very very important in grappling it's really really one of the only things I think that you should actually look for. We mentioned in prior episodes about how I've changed my game to focus less on going for the submission and more on just having predictable outcomes. And that's why I favor moves that have uh, that have a greater economy of motion. If you can move less, the results seem, at least to me, to be more predictable. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. So in, in terms of inside channel control, Matt, do you feel that this is a big guy or a little guy strategy? Or do you think that this is something that everyone can use equally? It's
1: definitely something that everyone can use because we all have, uh, um, we all have, you know, levers and that's kind of the whole basis. Like I mentioned earlier is turning a, fr- uh, a frame into a lever. And it's if you're a small guy wrestling a big guy, you definitely want to get the inside po- position. At least that's what I found. Um And someone who's really good with their frames uh and uh, you're fighting someone who's got really good framework, getting the inside position is basically
0: how you're going to shut down that frame. So yeah I, th- I think it's for everybody and i i think personally it's just as applicable in gi as it is in no gi
1: yeah absolutely like all this all the single leg x positions are are still very uh, applicable in the gi and you know x guard and all that stuff i i love playing those positions so um you know there but i definitely think that the outside position uh is more more favorable in the gi in in my opinion um yeah i've, I've also noticed that lately i've been uh i've I've had a lot of issues. This is a little bit unrelated, but I've had a lot of issues like finishing leg locks Mm -hmm. because people at my gym are now getting so aware of them that they're becoming harder and harder to come by unless someone's completely new. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man Keenan uh was it keenan who said no he said barambolos don't work which is also kind of true if if you're a partner if your opponent knows a lot
0: about barambolos but the main issue with barambolos is the best defense is just to not let the guy barambolo you <laughs>
1: yeah the guy kind of has to play it right mm-hmm. he has to you know he has to give you a particular response to make it work and you have to be quick and you can you know you have to be pretty specialized in that field and you have to be committed yeah but but um who who said leg locks don't work? Magalash? Vinny Magalash? I don't know. He's, I think, I think he said leg locks don't work, right? And in a way it's, it's the same thing. They kind of don't work. I mean, they, they obviously do, but against someone who's uh, a really high level, it's, it's very difficult to make leg locks work. Um, someone who understands breaking mechanics and, and control mechanisms and all that stuff. It's, it's hard to make leg locks work, but what I've been using a lot in competition lately is I go for leg locks And then as soon as my partner defends, I abandon the leg lock and I come up for two. That's my whole game. um, It's it's super effective to get the top position because... Yes, it's going to be hard to finish a really good uh, opponent with a leg lock, but it they ha- they basically have to defend, and a lot of the time what that involves is them giving up their base. So, yeah. I've been trying to structure my game now. I'm 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 focusing a lot on points lately and and positional play, and a lot of uh how I've been successful in that regard
0: is I go for a leg lock and then immediately come up for the top position. That that's my whole strategy. I find that as someone who really enjoys single leg X guard and X guard, what I like to do is go for the inside channel, get under the guy, sweep him, threaten a leg lock, like just a basic ankle lock, probably never going to get it, but then switch to a leg drag from the bottom. Like pass their leg over like I'm going for a heel hook, but then just get up into a leg drag. And I find that super effective. Um, to your point, everyone now trains leg locks or at least they are used to leg locks enough that they know how to defend and that's now becoming an area where people have shored up their defenses but while people are focusing on that there are going to be openings elsewhere. You mentioned um, moving back to the mount. I mean I think the mount is a heavily underappreciated area of jiu-jitsu and it has been for decades. Like it is such a powerful position but because the game has developed in so many other areas people have moved away from it. And sometimes it's not good enough to just be really good at something, but you have to understand where your opponent's defenses are and then move around them. And I mean, even if you're an armbar specialist, if you're sparring with a guy and clearly he's really good at defending armbars, you probably don't want to just keep trying that technique you probably want to pivot to something where you're more likely to get what you want uh you generally don't want to take the path of most resistance you want to take the path of least resistance so you have to look at where your opponent is defending and find ways to get around that rather than trying to break through their defenses directly yeah one of the cool
1: things that I, i uh that's really helped me secure my mount because like i said the last few years i've really neglected my mount game i just i always prefer side control as a as a more offensive position, but I'm really loving them out lately. Um, like I said, getting an underhook or even double unders is one of the the most important things, but just the head position, like getting your head to the mat and either driving your shoulder into your partner's chin or cross facing them violently with your, with your shoulder and bicep. Um, and basically I, I guess the best way to put it would just be smothering their face with your chest or your, if you're, if you got a high enough mount, it's going to be your belly. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that's really something that's helped me. And another thing that I, I really like that Gordon shows is when he gets his, uh, like if he decides he wants a a chest to chest position with his hands clasped uh I, i always struggled when i clasped my hands to to stay on top because i felt like as i was holding my partner down i would be tipsy and the way that he showed that you can defeat that first of all is put your head on the ground second of all is he opens his elbows so that his elbows run in a straight line so that his elbows are in a really high position and this provides you with a lot of stability up front so that's like and then from there, you can leg pummel or hip switch or whatever you got to do to pass the guard and and, uh, and hold the mount. So that's like something that's really helped me uh, improve my mount
0: game. Yeah, I think an important thing about the mount too is that you don't have to be committed to it. If you feel like you're losing it, you can switch back off to side control, then go to neon belly, then go to mount, and you can start racking up points pretty quickly if you do that. Whereas I find personally, if your game relies on taking the back, If the guy manages to get out you probably are back to square one and you have to sweep and go all the way through i find that it's very hard to maintain top position or a good position if you lose back control whereas with the mount if you lose it a lot of the time you can recover to a position that's just as good and then get right back to mount and the rules of jiu-jitsu favor this point wise so it's a it's a good strategy in that respect um Matt, something that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to get some more clarification on. You talked about how the benefit to inside channel control is that it turns frames into levers. Can you explain to me exactly what you meant with that?
1: Yeah, well, like I I like the example of a knee shield or or just like a half guard where your partner's got like frames with their hands. <clears throat> like First of all, you got to get through that knee shield. Uh, And second of all, they're going to have those frames in front of their face that are, it's basically denying you chest to chest position, right? So when I get to that split squat position or or the knee cut position, if I can get my knee to my elbow, I'm basically in now in a a spot where I can hip switch. I can, I can get past that knee frame, right? And, um, and dealing with their arms as frames, if you get like an inside collar or sorry, an inside bicep tie or if you can go over the top and pummel an underhook then from there you've basically negated that frame and you've 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 pretty much either pinned the arm or you've pummeled the arm now so you dominate the the underhook so what that's going to allow you to do is is pin the end of the lever which is going to be their shoulder right, right. so so if you if you can what i found is if you get the inside position on their arms then basically they can't frame anymore so you Mm -hmm. you have now taken that frame and now you're using that frame against them as a lever and using it to pin their shoulders
0: i see so what you're saying is that fundamentally when you have the inside channel you can get in so close that they can't even really frame and then exactly and then you can use their limbs as levers and it's very hard for them to stop you because you're in so close right it's very if you play i mean when I'm playing against someone who's really good at butterfly guard, it is annoying because they're in so close and yeah. they have your arm controlled and you want it back, but you just can't get it back. It's a terrible yeah. feeling.
1: Like if someone, if someone is playing like a seated guard or a butterfly guard, their, their shins are essentially frames, right? Um, their feet are hooks and they're able to elevate you with those hooks if they can clasp their hands around you or whatever. But like their shins are frames. They're using their legs as frames and getting, you don't even need to pummel both legs inside. I mean, Gordon does that as well. You'll be looking at like a double underpass or whatever if you're going to do that. But just pummeling one leg inside and forcing them into like a, a half guard, um, I've found has so much value because all of a sudden they can't triangle you anymore. They can't arm bar you anymore. They can't butterfly elevate you anymore. They could go to position like a, like a reverse Dela or a half guard or whatever. But, um, you know, especially in a nogi situation where there's not grips, you're, you're still, quite free to be able to to continue a passing sequence from there and of course it shuts down all of their leg lock entanglements. so being able to pummel one of your legs to the inside and putting them into like a a one-in-one-out position really negates one of their main frames which is their leg and that's going to give you access to passing
0: routes and yeah. float passing and all types of stuff I would say when you are playing guard, whether you are on top or on the bottom, your number one priority should be winning the grip fight, and your number two priority should be swimming for the inside channel i do this all the time you know before i even try to figure out what kind of passing strategy or, or sweeping strategy i want to use the first thing i'm trying to well the first thing is the grips but the second thing i'm trying to do is get that inside channel uh i do this a lot now if i'm like standing and the guy is playing a seated guard uh, you know he'll almost immediately try to get his legs on the inside and then i step over top of one of the legs and then he tries to bring his leg back on the <laughs> inside and then i yeah. step back over top and i won't do anything until i have at least one leg on the inside if, yeah. if i've got no legs on the inside that's a bad scene. Uh, I learned this a long time ago. I was sparring with a uh, an MMA fighter who i probably outweighed by like 40 pounds tiny little dude and he kept getting his butterfly hooks and i thought well i'm just gonna smash this little guy and just pass him is he a small child i mean basically he was he was tiny but every single time i would try i just wasn't respecting his um his underhooks or his (laughs) butterfly hooks and i just thought based on size alone i'd be able to just smash this guy and every single time he was able to use that and and footlock me because you get so much mobility and power over the other guy if you have all both your arms and both your legs on the inside it's really hard to fight and you should never Mm -hmm. underestimate that you know even against a much smaller opponent don't think oh well you know yeah i'm a lot bigger i don't care if he's got both of his hooks in make sure that you've got at least one of those hooks out before you try to pass yeah
1: remember getting the inside position means to um dominate your opponent's structure right structure is a, a key foundation of alignment uh refer back to episode
0: one i think we talked about alignment just just listen to all of the episodes all over again actually we would really appreciate the extra views it uh <laughs> it doesn't actually achieve anything but it makes me feel good about myself every time that little number goes up yeah but 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 that is uh like like we we're talking
1: about like pummeling and getting the inside position with a you know a bicep tie or whatever and that, that is a ba- essentially breaking your opponent's structure right and dominating a, a lever yeah uh, turning a frame into a lever so so making you know like a prime example is you know we're talking about getting one, one leg in one leg out like the headquarters position now generally when i try and pass if my partner has me in like an open guard let's say it's in the gi and they have their legs sort of around me and i'm on the inside but they have access to de La and open guards one of my main attacks now is i just i try and control one foot and i stuff it in the middle of my legs yeah so now it's like you know that foot is it, it could elevate me if i don't have good uh if i do if i don't have good alignment it could possibly elevate me and if they have a grip on my collar they could elevate me but it's a position where i know where that foot's going to be and from there i'm basically i'm basically in the headquarters position or the, or almost entering the float pass position uh, i know that their options are going to be limited from here depending on the angle of their hips and then i'm going to look to implement my my float passing game or Mm -hmm. you know whatever kind of passing i'm going to try and do from there so that's
0: one of my biggest things i like to do in the gi is stuff one of the feet on the inside yeah yeah me too or the other thing that i do sometimes is if i feel that my opponent is going for like a Delaheva hook i'll just squat down and establish a standing elbow knee connection yeah I i find if you do that if he tries to delahiva you, you can just sit right down and collapse that delahiva hook. The, the mistake that a lot of people make when someone gets delahiva on them is they try to posture right up. Yeah. But if you do that, you're giving your opponent complete access to that leg. There's yeah. nothing stopping them from twisting your leg around. Whereas if you connect your elbow to your knee, now you can put all your weight down, and it makes it really hard for them to pull that leg free and twist you.
1: Yeah. If you if you ever watch like really high level jujitsu, um, specifically in the gi, but even in no gi. Specifically in the gi, when you see guys on the bottom going for like outside channel positions, like like is is that a term we can call it? outside? Channel? Yeah, it, it is, and uh, it's
0: a thing, right? Outside like, I mean,
1: position, or yeah,
0: I mean, I would call it the outside channel, and it's viable, like yeah, like Delaheva. Yeah. There's guys
1: that base their game around Delaheva, yeah. and, and,
0: and a lot of judo throws re- rely on outside position because you're basically compensating for control with momentum, right? But a lot of judo throws require you to go on the outside. Yeah, so 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 if you if you watch these guys try to
1: pass like uh, if you watch a guy try and pass a guy uh who has a, a de La based game and he's trying to get that de La Riva, um, one of the more common reactions you'll see at the high level is the guy who's passing just sits right down mm-hmm. posts one knee in the middle as a wedge t- and a frame to prevent their partner from or their opponent from you know snapping up arm bars and triangles and they'll just connect their knee to the elbow there and then they'll, they'll just hang out and look for opportunities to get maybe double unders or to pass it's you know, it happened to me in Las Vegas. I, I when I was going against one of Kaios lightweights there, he I, I knew once he pulled guard on me that he was trying to set up like a a, a shotgun triangle or like an omoplata from the open guard. So I just sat down and, ba- and basically had one knee up, one knee down, and just kept my elbow completely glued to my knee. I knew that as long as my elbow stayed glued to my knee uh, structurally, there'd be no way that he could attack my arm. So I just hung out there and, and kept trying to pass. And eventually he did. I think he threatened a Barambolo and I defended, but then he did get a sweep out of it. And then, you know, I ended
0: oh, up... I guess Barambolos <laughs> do work.
1: <laughs> they do work. I mean, he didn't take my back, but he did sweep me with it. He, he actually ended up... Actually, now I'm wondering... Because I think he won 3-2, but I'm, now I'm wondering, if he swept me, how did he get that other point?
0: Anyways, kind Matt, of Matt in. is
1: just now realizing he got fucked. <laughs> he, <laughs>
0: probably, he probably won that match, but he's just now realizing, no. wait a minute. No,
1: no, <laughs> I, I, It was kind of weird because I, I got the two points. We actually stood up with like a minute left and I just, I did like a blast double and I actually surprised myself. I managed to take him <laughs> down with a blast double, um, but I wasn't able to pass him. His guard was too good and... Yeah, yeah, I, just I find that things. most
0: most wrestling in jiu-jitsu only works when the other guy forgets that wrestling exists in jiu-jitsu yeah. and they forget <laughs> you can the, just oh, sit <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, I love that quote from uh, the other episode we did where you said that jiu is a race <laughs> to see who can get to their butt and then stand back up because <laughs> yeah. that is basically it yeah um, okay so j- just to recap like in terms of what we talked about the in- inside channel control basically means the strategy of trying to get your arms legs and even your head in between your opponent's arms and legs i mean you can't get between their heads but you can try to get your head underneath (laughs) your opponent's head basically getting in so close to their core that they can't effectively use their arms or their legs anymore it's a great strategy in gi no gi against bigger guys smaller guys um really the power of it is it allows you to control the distance so effectively you can get in super close your opponent can't do anything you can switch the angle on them whenever you want and basically all of your leverage are in too close they can't really grab your head effectively or your arms or your legs and that's part of what makes this position powerful it becomes very difficult for your opponent to fight someone who's in that close um matt anything else you wanted to add on the topic of inside channel control
1: uh it's a pretty it's a pretty comprehensive discussion i'm glad we had it um and if you, you know, now that, now that, if, for those of you that have listened to this, next time you watch like a, a high level nogi match or, or if you watch any of the Danher guys, you'll see that they're very disciplined when they're on the bottom position. Most of them, you know, most of them play bottom position. Uh, but you see them always setting up the inside position that, and, and it's very difficult to deal with if you just, uh, keep implementing that game it's gonna it's gonna control you know most of the match until you're it, it, basically there has to be a breakthrough from the person on top passing the guard to get the inside position to be able to pass so, yeah yeah uh, keep
0: your eye out for it and try it and see how it affects your game yeah we've talked in the past about how high level jiu looks kind of like two cats fighting because they just sit there and they sort of paw at each other for a bit, and then suddenly there's this massive explosion of motion. That pawing that you're seeing is basically grip fighting and jockeying for inside channel control. It doesn't look like much if you're not experienced, but if you are experienced you'll notice that most high-level guys the where the really interesting stuff happens is is when it looks like no one's moving. They're just sitting there and they're fighting for grips. They're fighting for the inside channel, and then boom, someone goes as soon as they feel like they have adequate control. Um, and because I know we will get asked, yes, the taint is an inside channel. <laughs> it, it may be the inside channel. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of our biggest fans actually posted a review and said, you know, uh, I think it was one of the episodes where we were talking about taints which is basically all of them yeah. and he said something like you know the episode begins with five minutes of crude taint humor but if you can get past that there's a lot of really good martial arts content now i would argue that that episode had like 65 minutes of boring martial arts content but if you can get past that there's five minutes of great taint humor in there.
1: <laughs> yeah and and definitely check out that gordon dvd uh if you're if you're looking for ways to improve your guard passing especially like know if you're a nogi grappler and you have issues passing the guard which a lot of us do it really uh it can Im- it can improve what your what your goals are when you're trying to pass the guard so i've pushed it before and i will keep pushing it just because it's had a huge impact on my game do you get like a referral fee every time you push that dvd i don't but i i like to push stuff that helps me out a lot so do you get do you get a referral fee when you push your own dvd no, and and this episode, I I literally said Baron Bolos don't work. So
0: yeah, yeah. I, I was going <laughs> to say they this. will if you get my DVD. <laughs> this this whole episode was basically a redaction of Matt's DVD. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think your next DVD should basically just be like Volume Two. None of that okay. shit works. Just just go to Mount.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, get back to the bases. But um, just just like anything in jujitsu, guys. Like uh, obviously, if you're going against someone who has no idea about what barambolo or crowd ride is it it will be effective the the thing is is as the natural progression of jiu-jitsu happens people become more aware of how to defend how to counter and it's you know things get nullified and this is just the nature of things it's happening with leg locks now
0: too but the pendulum is going to go back the other way right that's just the the nature of, of how trends work people can't train everything we live in a world now where there's a big focus on leg locks and the inverted game and so people are learning to defend it but you know it again like we said earlier earlier you want to take the path of least resistance you have to assess where your opponent's weaknesses are and you want to play into that game if they have great leg lock defense maybe that's not the best avenue to attack them through yeah. deny them the inside position
1: then yep yep or actually sorry no no i, I
0: misheard you i thought you said if your opponents have great leg locks deny them the inside position well you should always deny them the inside yeah. position yeah. but my, my point is basically that having a lot of um you know a lot of utilities in your swiss army knife is good because if something is trendy now that doesn't mean it'll be trendy two years from now and yeah, people may kind of move away from that and then once again that becomes a viable strategy
1: that's one of the reasons why i love jujitsu so much it's just like if you're not constantly studying and learning, then uh, you're going to fall behind. And there's a lot of there's a lot of schools that where where the professor is kind of from a particular era or point in time and they kind of have their game and they don't feel the need to to learn some of the new things that are coming out nowadays. You you really have to, especially if you're a gym owner or you're a, a professional fighter or, a you know, a professor, you, you really have to stay up to date with what's going on and and. And study what's going on. Otherwise yeah. you're you're just kind
0: of just denying yourself knowledge. So. Yeah, you want to avoid a situation where you get kind of dogmatic, like you see in a lot of traditional martial arts. You know, the one of the nice things about jujitsu is a lot of these ideas get tested in practice and it allows you to kind of weed out what works and what doesn't work. And you always want to be wary of an instructor who is just insistent that their way is the right way, because odds are it probably isn't. They probably just aren't really keeping up to date. Yeah cool so just going over the mental models that we talked about briefly today i mean the whole topic of this episode is inside channel control the the science of basically getting your arms legs and head on the inside we talked about controlling the distance this is really the big benefit of inside channel control is that you can get in so close that your opponent cannot effectively attack you we talked about dominant angles uh when you have the inside channel it's much much easier to take a dominant angle on your opponent we talked about limb coiling Uh, when you have a again when you're on the inside usually your arms legs and neck are in so close that it's hard for your opponent to pull that free from the rest of your body we talked about the elbow knee connection a very powerful way to maintain inside channel control is to keep your elbow and knee together because that prevents your opponent from getting back on the inside uh, we talked about how grips dictate position again when you're playing guard either on top or bottom your number one priority should probably be winning the grip fight we we talked about myopia, uh, the tendency to get tunnel vision and over focus on one objective to the point where you are ignoring things that would actually benefit you more. We talked about dictating the pace, or as Keenan has called it in the past, tempo, meaning effectively controlling the pace of the fight, being the one who is acting and not reacting. We talked about economy of motion generally that moves are more predictable when there's less motion involved and we talked about the path of least resistance meaning that you know you you don't want to attack your opponent where it's going to be hard you want to look for the easiest way to win so if your opponent has a particularly strong defense in one area you may want to explore other attack strategies uh terms of other things that we can talk about i mean matt we've got a lot of stuff going on now we've got the shop you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com store and buy our sweet merchandise we now have the patches in stock we've got shirts too um you can order them there if you want to buy the patches I'm, we're selling them in packs of one or in packs of three uh shipping is free we also do ship internationally and yes it's free internationally as well so please do support our podcast um put patches on all of your crap yeah let them know <laughs> let them know
1: yeah um but terms- we really appreciate that uh and obviously it's just really cool to see people wearing our stuff so uh thank you for all the support and check out that store for some uh,
0: swag yeah it is super super flattering that you guys are so enthusiastic to the point where you're buying these patches and you're making intro music for us we i cannot tell you how much we appreciate it and how much we're humbled by it i never thought we would have that kind of support behind us
1: yeah and if you send in
0: pictures we'll repost it and we'd love to see you guys wearing our patches so. absolutely absolutely if you want to hear more from matt and myself go to our website slash join and you can join our mailing list Also, we're pretty active on Facebook and on Instagram, so just find us there if you want to get more regular updates. Matt, I got a question. Okay. Okay, so we had one of our readers read in. This is going to be an interesting one he says i absolutely love your podcast thanks so much for all the great insight oh this is fake <laughs> yeah we already know it's bullshit i have a question for you guys i have trained in bjj mainly nogi for a little over two years and i love it the last six months or so i have got a number of skin infections ringworm three times ew yeah i know impetigo is that how you pronounce yeah. it or is it impetigo i don't know uh, i i know what it is and and a number of other infections that i have never that i never even knew existed on the bright side i am now very knowledgeable in various skin infections and treatments it's been very frustrating because when i get these infections i'm not able to train as i don't want to spread them to others at the gym you're a good person yeah we appreciate it so this has caused me to miss a lot of training often i'm off training for a week or so and a few times right after i come back i've got another infection mm-hmm. it is very frustrating yeah. so my question is is it common for infections to occur this often or mm-hmm. do you think my gym has a hygiene issue either with mats not being cleaned properly or members not washing well enough, training with infections. So I, I actually replied to this guy and gave him my thoughts and he provided a bit more insight. Um, yeah, I have questions to be able to answer that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's explained that, you know, he's yes, he's already, um, you know, he's very, very diligent about his hygiene, washing his ghee, using antimicrobial soap. He's also brought this up with his instructor quite a bit. Uh, as he mentions here, it sounds like this wasn't really a big issue at first, but over the last few months, there's just been this recurring series of infections And it kind of sounded like when he went to talk to his instructor, his instructor's feedback was basically, uh, it happens is it happening to other people at the school or is it just him so yeah so that's a good question um that i i don't that's important yeah that's, that's important to
1: know if if it's just one person who's getting infected um the reality is that some for some people once you get some of these infections whether it's staff or ringworm you could be more prone to it in the future uh is that peop- actually true yeah yeah some sure. people are just unlucky uh If you get a staph infection, usually you have to go on antibiotics or whatever to to defeat it. And the thing about antibiotics is it also kills good uh, bacteria inside your body. So you will be... Uh, your defenses will be down and if you do have uh if you do get one of those infections it can be a reoccurring thing Um I'd recommend like hopefully your gym has a shower it's, they don't not all gyms have showers so if you're fortunate enough to be at a gym that does have a shower I would try and shower right away not wait till I get home Uh you can if you're training primarily Nogi, I'd recommend you wear spats and long-sleeve rash guard and just try and cover your body as much as you can, um, although it sounds like you're taking all the precautions you can. And yeah, speaking with your instructor, that's a, if, if they just say it happens, I mean... I that's can't, not
0: reassuring. <laughs> I,
1: I can't say that that's a lie. It does happen. Uh, the real test for me would be, are, is this a thing where multiple people are getting these infections or is it just you? Because if it's just you, then it could be a, it could be a situation where you are just unfortunately more prone to getting these infections um if 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 multiple people are dealing with these infections and it's a reoccurring thing then that could be a possibility as well and also uh you know it sounds like you're you're uh you're keeping your gear clean and everything which is awesome but yeah if 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 you don't see the mats getting cleaned after every practice then that's also something that's not
0: good yeah this guy also explained to me that um he's talked to other people at the gym about this and kind of gets the feeling that at this gym people are sort of embarrassed about this kind of thing and so they try to they don't bring it up and they don't want to talk about it and that might be part of the problem So people could be training with infections yeah yeah so I, i i have a few pieces of advice here one is to echo what matt said um you know covering your body especially in nogi is a good idea i personally prefer to wear uh, a long sleeved rash guard and I, I put spats on under my shorts. Just, you know, the less skin to skin contact, the better. In the gi, you have the advantage of, you know, being covered head to toe for the most, well, not head to toe, but like head to shin. Uh, but in no gi, you don't unless you go out of your way. So, i would suggest covering as much of your body as possible in terms of hygiene um things that i would suggest it sounds like you're already doing this so this isn't so much for you but more for the benefit of other listeners sometimes just washing your stuff is not good enough especially if it, you have like really it's a really old ghee or a really old rash guard uh, you can you know what i like to do is i wash with antimicrobial stuff this doesn't have to be expensive you don't have to drop a ton of money at like armbar soap company you can just buy head and shoulders and use that as like body wash because that what i use yeah that's Pretty what i good. use because that has antimicrobial agents in it you can also when you wash your ghee i like to put in a bit of vinegar into the load um vinegar is a super cheap antimicrobial so it breaks down and destroys bacteria um it's great for that kind of stuff my washing and drying machine also have this like sanitize cycle which basically just like heats stuff up so bad that everything dies uh i don't not every washer and dryer has it but i love it like it it completely kills problems with like stinky geese and stuff um that's also a good uh, indicator if you're finding that your stuff still smells after it's gone through the wash you're probably not washing it well enough that means generally like try adding an antimicrobial or turning up the heat or something to that effect i would say in terms of the gym itself uh, what you're describing is not normal for sure. Like most people don't have a situation where they're getting an infection, having to take two weeks off, coming back and getting another infection immediately. Um, that's not the, the, the common case, but to Matt's point, some people are just more prone to this than others. The big question is, is this just you or are other people in the gym having the same problem if everyone in the gym is having the same problem that tells me that obviously the mats probably need to be cleaned better um now in this case there are two things that kind of concern me one is your instructor does not seem to be really taking this seriously as a priority the other thing is that if it is if infections are looked at as a source of shame that people hide good chance that people are training with those kinds of infections and really as an instructor it is critical that you have people know like look there's nothing to be ashamed of this happens to everyone just be open about it um the, you also need to people to understand that infections are serious business like a lot of the time people don't think that these are a big deal so they just figure oh, i'll just train through it and it won't be a big big deal i mean you can die from certain types yeah. of infections especially staff and the thing to bear in mind is even if you're not so concerned about your own health you don't know who you're training with you might be training with someone who doesn't have a great immune system or maybe they work in like um in a medical field where they are engaged with people who don't have great immune systems like their hospital toddlers children old people you don't know who you're training with so really if you have a skin infection it's best to be completely open about it and just not train and also tell the people at the gym so that they know to look out for it and to know it's nothing shameful i mean you wouldn't go and train if you have the flu it's not a shameful thing to get the flu or to get a cold it should really be the same thing if you get like ringworm or staff it shouldn't be a matter of it should not be a matter of shame it should just be a matter of hey look this happened everyone at the gym heads up i'm gonna go away until it clears up and um matt to your point um if it is something serious like staff definitely go see a doctor because you don't want that to get worse and Mm -hmm. if it is something that you feel might actually be something to do with you like you you look into this and you decide you know what it looks like this is really just me it's happening to it might be an idea to go see a doctor and just get get a feel for whether maybe there's something about your immune system that's off because what you're describing is not really standard it it is unusual to get skin infections at the rate that you are reporting
1: yeah if if you are um first of all if you keep getting these infections and then you have to keep taking antibiotics not only will your defenses be down but uh your body will actually sometimes gain an uh or or will develop a immunity to these drugs and you can get uh MRSA which is basically a, a form of staph which is resistant to antibiotics and that's when things can get really serious um if you're getting these infections over and over it could be there it's rare but there could be a systemic situation where your body like Steve said your your immune system is uh your immune system is weak and and well I don't want to say weak but just prone to these infections so definitely um you know if you, if you're getting all these infections repeatedly i'd recommend going to uh to see a specialist and specifically a rheumatologist and a rheumatologist will be able to give you blood tests that your your average doctor won't won't know about quite exotic blood tests that test for things um that that check your uh you know your autoimmune system and things like that and uh it's you know d- don't mess around with this stuff it sounds like you're doing all the right re- proper precautions and and again if you're if your instructor is kind of uh you know not making a big deal out of it then that's also not a good sign too so i think having like an open honest conversation with with people at your gym like Steve was talking and mentioning that that is kind of the the best way because it, the truth is a lot of people will get ringworm and not know and mm-hmm. they won't even know what it is and then they'll just go to training and you know and yeah. then and then one day you'll see them with ringworm on you're like whoa what the hell is that yeah. like and
0: to be fair like if if you've never trained jujitsu before it like i didn't know what ringworm was until i started training and someone explained it to me like you might not know what to look for and yeah. let's be honest especially at the white belt level you probably have little finger sized bruises all over your arms and legs anyway so it is conceivable that you could just not know what's happening unless someone explains it to you yeah. uh, transparency is always better and this is an opportunity too for you to kind of set the example in your gym if you come out and basically are open about this and tell people hey i'm not training because i have this you should check yourself and just make sure you don't as well yeah. it sets the tone that 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 is okay to talk about and that is leadership that anyone in the gym can display
1: yeah i mean i mean the best thing would be if your instructor had that conversation yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's actually your instructor's responsibility it to is do, because, because um uh, the last thing you want as a gym owner or, or an instructor is to, to gain a reputation where people at your gym are dropping like flies with, with infections, right? So it's kind of in their best interest to nip that in the bud as soon as they can. So thank you. Great question. And, uh, I think that's, that's sort of those, uh, skin infection awareness could be,
0: uh, it could be brought up more especially amongst beginners in our sport yeah it's something that i think every instructor should make a point of bringing up once in a while just because you've always got people joining a gym and they may not know about this stuff like we take for granted some of the stuff that we know about in jiu-jitsu that average people don't know about and skin infections are one of those things even in a lot of sports you know even for a lot of really athletic people who are engaged in a lot of sports unless they do a lot of really close contact sports they're probably not going to know all of the ins and outs of weird things that can grow on your skin so education and transparency are key and you know jujitsu in general but but specifically
1: nogi um you're going to be more prone to scratches and minor abrasions and things like that so maybe after each practice after you shower check over your body see if there's any scratches or or cuts or anything and then apply polysporin or whatever you're going to do got it cool
0: anything else you want to plug matt no but i do i would like to hear this music well you know what no (laughs) you're gonna have to download and listen to the podcast just like everyone else oh god (laughs) thanks again for the chat guys hope this has been helpful as always any questions comments feedback you have you know where to find us you can grab us on our website or on social media we look forward to hearing from you and we will talk to you next time all right take care guys